despite the breaking news. And when I say breaking news, it means breaking as in causing to break, uh, basically broken. That's what we are looking at with the United States uh, budget. The United States, the this is from the Congressional Budget Office, they just released the numbers. The United States is on track to add nearly 19 trillion to its national debt over the next decade. Uh, Three trillion more than previously forecast as a result of rising costs for interest payments, veterans health care, retiree benefits, and the military. That announced by the Congressional Budget Office uh, right now. And uh, again, this goes back to President Biden's State of the Union address last week. Remember, everything was great, and he was trimming the deficit, and uh, he was doing so much a better job than the previous administration, which had indeed added on trillions and trillions of dollars, and the Trump administration did to the national debt. Well, this is the one of the biggest increases. I think it is the biggest increase in the national debt ever reported or anticipated, and what the heck is going to happen there's also this breaking news reported by the wall street journal the united states could become unable to pay all of its bills on time sometime between july and september well that's a little bit better they were talking about it sometime in june so at least we've got another couple of days uh, maybe even a, an extra month. But July and September, when you're talking about something that would be a cataclysm, would wipe out your life savings, could honestly cost people jobs and ability to pay mortgages and uh, basically survival economically. The U.S. could become unable to pay all of its bills on time Sometime between July and September, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office estimated, giving lawmakers several months to reach an agreement on lifting the debt limit and avoiding a default. The Treasury Department ran up against roughly $31.4 trillion debt limit in January. It is now deploying a series of special accounting maneuvers to keep paying the government's obligations to bondholders, Social Security recipients, and others. And look, I mean, the special tactics that they're using are, are necessary. Uh, this is not a, a moment, I don't know, maybe we can save some money spending less than the 490, what is it, $490 million with... Uh, uh, or, or, or each time they're, they're shooting down one of those unidentified aerial phenomenon, the UAPs. And then there is this, uh, uh, and this will, I think, be for dozens of people out there, this will be a great relief and a time to celebrate. Uh, the Wall Street Journal is reporting the Justice Department under Merrick Garland has just ended its investigation into Representative Matt Gates without bringing charges against the congressman, drawing to a close a years-long probe centered on whether the Florida Republican had inappropriate contact with a minor. 
Mr. Gates's office said the Justice Department has, quote, confirmed to Congressman Gates's attorneys that their investigation has concluded and that he will not be charged with any crimes. A Justice Department spokesman declined to comment. Uh, Matt Gates was to, has denied all wrongdoing. The investigation, which began in 2020, isn't that unbelievable? More than two years it's been going on was examining in part whether Mr. Gates had inappropriate contact with a girl when she was 17. And uh, it was based upon a friend of his who uh, pleaded guilty to various uh, problems like that. And uh, again, a, uh, a very big relief for the Florida congressman. Uh, today, there's a uh, all kinds of big news about the presidential race, which is, yes, it's red hot. It's moving along. Uh, Nikki Haley, who announced her candidacy yesterday, really kicked it off with uh, what has to be described as a very successful and impressive and feel-good kind of rally that she did in the shed in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, that's... Uh, actually something where there is new news about what it is that Republicans want in a nominee for president. Uh, and do they want a conservative? Do they want a moderate? Do they want somebody over the age of 70 or under the age of 70? Uh, do they want decades of political experience or a political outsider? Surprising results from that poll. And, um, the uh, uh, question is, what will the nickname be that Nikki Haley gets with her campaign? Uh, and President Trump has not yet awarded her a nickname. Uh, but what are candidates for that name? He's uh, trying out the idea uh, because Ron DeSanctimonious didn't really work as a nickname for Ron DeSantis, who hasn't announced his candidacy yet. He's now trying out uh, Meatball Ron. And I'm not sure what that means, except sort of a slander to the Italian-American background of Governor DeSantis, but who knows. There is still not information about the shooter in um, at Michigan State University who killed three people, seriously wounded. And apparently those, those five students who are uh, now still in the hospital are all still in critical condition. So they are not out of the woods yet. Uh, what is the pattern with school shooting? And what, after a huge report examining every single school shooting there is, what can be done to discourage or prevent school shootings? We'll talk with one of the authors of that report for The Washington Post coming up on The Medved Show. And then a a. a a real riddle about one of the least popular people in American politics. Uh, uh, Charles Lipson, Professor Charles Lipson, asked, can Democrats solve their Kamala Harris problem? Uh, what is uh, uh, basically the essence of that problem? We will get to that also on the Michael Medved Show. I mentioned that uh, uh, there is a brand new poll and it's a, a, a very important poll because it's from Politico and Morning Consult. And it asks about the priorities of Republican voters. Because one of the things that um, people are talking about here is how is it possible that Nikki Haley 
uh, will be able to actually rival President Trump when it comes to appealing to Republican base voters. And this should probably be viewed as good news or at least some encouraging news for people not named Donald J. Trump who are seeking the Republican nomination, including right now the only one who is formally seeking it is Nikki Haley. Uh, first of all, all of the people who are running for president uh, or even potentially running for president on the Republican side say they're conservatives. And so in this uh, Politico morning consult poll, and this is not surprising, 79% of GOP voters think it's important that somebody is a conservative. Only 5% say it's not important. But then the next item, it says, what about being a moderate? 50% of GOP voters, Republican voters, say, yes, they want somebody. It's important that someone should be a moderate. Only 18% on the other side. So what people want clearly is somebody who is both conservative and moderate. And what else? Do they want somebody with lots of governmental experience or somebody to come in from outside and shake things up? That's been one of the questions in past primary campaigns. We'll talk about it. Coming up on the MedVet Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Your daily dose of debate. It's the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, taking a look at a absolutely fascinating and really rather shocking uh, Politico morning consult poll, which is shaking up the political world because it does not conform to expectations. Uh, I still believed, and again, I think this is conventional wisdom, and it may be conventional wisdom as it sometimes is. It's just flat out wrong that uh, basically the conventional wisdom is that uh, – if you're a moderate, uh, you have no place in the GOP, that the Republican Party has not been the home for moderate candidates since Trump remade the party in his own image. I mean, certainly President Trump would never, ever come close to that term moderate. He wouldn't describe himself that way. Um, it's possible that Mitt Romney would have. It's certainly possible that John McCain would have. But they would have also used the term conservative. You may remember that when Mitt Romney was about to win the uh, straw poll at the uh, CPAC at the Conservative Political Action Committee, this is back in 2012 when he won the Republican nomination, he uh, said, I uh, have always been a severe conservative, which people said, oh, no, Mitt Romney's more of a moderate guy. It turns out that uh, basically Republican wonder, voters want somebody above all who's conservative. That's 79% say that's what we want. But 50% say we want a moderate. The, uh, the other thing that they ask about, and this may be a reflection of people's attitude toward Joe Biden, who is 80 years old, as people are aware, they ask people, do you think it's important for a presidential candidate to be under the age of 70? 
And uh, this is a question that applies not just to Joe Biden, but it applies to Donald J. Trump. Yes, he's very active, and I know there's never been a greater, more remarkable physical specimen ever, and he passes all those cog cognitive tests, uh, aces them with what is man-woman television. Remember that? Uh, President Trump remembers all those words, so... But he's 76, and uh, they thought... How many people in the Republican Party thought it was important that we have a candidate for president who is under 70, which means no Joe Biden, and it means no Donald Trump. They are both decidedly baby boomers who are over 70 years old. 69% of Republicans thought it was important to have a candidate for president who's under 70. Only 10% thought it was not important. In other words, if people are thinking about this at all and they're planning to vote for Donald Trump, I mean, surely most people know that Donald Trump is over 70, right? And if they they don't know, um, it, then it's, it's something that uh, Trump's opponents for the Republican nomination, including Nikki Haley, who's 51, will um, make it known. Ron DeSantis is 44. The uh, difference in age, if you think about that, is 32 years difference in age between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. In any event, uh, decades of political experience. Now, you might think this is a little bit contradictory. Uh, people, Republican voters, want someone under the age of 70, but they also want somebody with decades of political experience. 53% think it's important. And uh, then a political outsider which, again, we've been told, and this was the conventional wisdom, is that everybody wanted Trump because he was a bull in the China shop and he was going to shake things up and he was coming from outside Washington. He was going to drain the swamp. Remember that? Uh, political outsider, only 38% think it's important. 24% think it's not important. So that's divided. And then uh, when it comes to a, a woman, only 17% think that's important or a person of color, only 13% think that's important. There's now one of the conversations about Nikki Haley is she uh, is a person of color, as we usually characterize them, because both of her parents are immigrants from India. And her really re original name was not Nikki, it was Namrata and uh, Radhawa. And uh, yes, her parents were Indian intellectuals, very much like the mother of Kamala Harris. But uh, uh, she apparently earlier in her career had listed her race at one uh, situation where you had to fill in a box. And because the box only had uh, black and white for you to check, she checked white. So is this going to be a big campaign issue? I certainly hope not. In any event, this is the way they discussed this new poll on Morning Joe. Joe Scarborough, former Republican congressman, I think that part of what he looks at here is is accurate and probing and important. Uh, listen. The two numbers that really are fascinating are under the age of 70 and also has decades of political experience. There actually is. That line suggests some buyer's remorse in getting a reality TV show host who promised a lot of things, uh, but but really at the end of the day delivered mostly gestures other than federal judges. And I think I actually I think this is a very good development. I don't I don't want an outsider in the White House 
I don't want a, an outsider uh, when, when I need brain surgery. I don't even want an outsider when I need to go to the dentist. I want somebody who's been a dentist more than 15 minutes. And this whole idea, this fiction that both parties have been pushing over the past 20, 30 years, that we need outsiders, mainly Republicans, people that are going to come in and shake things up. Uh, no, they don't shake things up. They get shaken down. They don't know how to run this city. But we've had too many people that became presidents of the United States over the past 30 years that love to tell us how much they didn't like Washington and would go upstairs and watch ESPN at 6.30 at night. I hear you. narrows it down to two. <laughs> but yes. go ahead. Yes, yes, I hear you. Okay, this is uh, a look, I think, uh, a very important uh, development. And can we r remind people that when President Reagan was elected president, he had served eight years as governor of California, two full terms. Hmm, just like Nikki Haley was two full terms as governor of South Carolina. And uh, before that, uh, President Reagan was very much a Hollywood insider. He was uh, chairman two different terms of the Screen Actors Guild, which is a big deal. And before he was nominated for president, when he won, he ran for the presidential nomination and came close to unseating President Ford back in 1976. So no one would have possibly described Ronald Reagan as uh, an, an outsider. And he was someone who had real administrative experience. And people still, for the most part, remember Reagan's uh, reign as governor of California very positively. And because of that positivity, uh, he was followed by other Republican governors like George Duke Majin and, uh, and Pete Wilson. Um, coming up, a uh, look at all of the school shootings over the last five years. Were they preventable? Are they preventable for the future? We'll be talking to uh, John Woodrow Cox, an enterprise reporter at The Washington Post, coming up on The Medved Show. This is going to be a little bit provocative. The Michael Medved Show. Do you ever get the feeling... Hey, Michael, great show, guy. I love it. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, every once in a while, a big uh, media source will actually assign people to do some serious scholarly and substantive and scientific work. That happened with the Washington Post. They have a... Uh, a a large piece uh, that is full of information and full of provocation as well. It is called uh, Children Under Fire, an American Crisis. It's um, the impact of gun violence on children around America. Previously, this was uh, reflecting the work of John Woodrow Cox, who uh, was named a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in feature writing, he was also part of the team of Post Journalists awarded the 2022 Pulitzer Prize for public service for coverage on the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, John Woodrow Cox, thank you very much for joining us. And you have now tracked every school shooting over the past 
five years. Uh, how many school shootings is that that you've tracked? So uh, we've actually we've done the work over the last five years, but we've tracked them dating all the way back to Columbine. And, you know, we're getting close to 400 um, school shootings now. And, and we take a very narrow definition of school shooting. Uh, our definition is it's got to happen during school hours. Um, so things like football games and, you know, after school events, we, we don't count those. Um, and uh, they have to have actually happened on the campus. So there's actually gunfire on campus. Uh, and the other element of that that we track is how many students were present when those events occurred. And that number is now uh, up to 338,000 uh, dating back to Columbine. So kids who were actually on campus when uh, the shootings happened. So I think that's what's unique and, and so important about your work is you're looking not only at the people who had bullets in their bodies, but people who had bullets right. in their imagination, who uh, right. actually experienced uh, the, the shootings themselves. What about the long-term impact? Uh, because that's a great deal of what your work focuses on, the long-term impact of surviving one of those school shootings. Mm -hmm. Well, that's... You know, that was really the motivation, right, is that the, the idea for this database came from a shooting that occurred well before um, Parkland. I was at a little, I went to a little uh, community in rural South Carolina where uh, a 14-year-old had pulled up to this playground and opened fire on a bunch of first graders. And uh, his gun jammed 12 seconds after the shooting started, but by then he had struck a, uh, a six-year-old boy named Jacob Hall. And Jacob died. He died three days later, but he was the only kid who died. Uh, so that's why nobody remembers the shooting, because that's really the calculation we make now is, is how long we're going to care is based on how many people died. And what I found, I went there about six months after the shooting, and I found a community and a group of kids who were devastated. I mean, they were never, ever going to be the same. Kids who still were dealing with nightmares and sleeplessness, who could never go back to school, who were on antidepressants and antipsychotics and were... Uh, going to be in therapy for the rest of their lives because of a school shooting that lasted 12 seconds and that nobody remembered. So that's why, you know, I really set off on this journey to try to figure out, you know, how many kids did these children represent? And, you know, the number was, uh, was staggering. And, you know, we know that uh, some of these kids, not all of them, uh, but some of these kids will deal with it for decades. With uh, the kids who are dealing with this, generally, uh do parents decide that they are going to either get guns for the household to protect themselves or because of the children being so sensitive to what they've experienced, is there been any indication of parents in that situation wanting to uh, give away or dispose of their firearms? I think you see both. Um, you see... Uh, some kids in those situations who become really fixated on guns and the idea that they want people around them to have guns. Uh, one little boy from that shooting, uh, you know, he wouldn't go out in public unless he felt like his teachers or family or someone had a gun. So they would often lie to him and say, yeah, we, we have a gun uh, just to make him feel safe. Uh, I think more often, you know, kids feel a real anger toward the object and toward people who have guns and they uh, don't want guns around them. Um, and, you know, these are kids too, who are unaware, you know, certainly when you're six years old, you're, you're not aware of, of the, all the sort of political trappings around the issue. They just know that 
this thing was used to kill their friend and to wreck their lives. Um, so, but you, you know, you do see, I think, uh, in the minds of kids, you sort of see it happen uh, both ways. In terms of uh, school shootings, I mean, one of the things that people say is that, well, it happens everywhere. And yes, mm -hmm. there are school shootings in Russia and in Germany and uh, in South Africa and all over the world. Uh, is it uh, true that uh, we are much more likely to have school shootings in the United States? Yes, uh, much, much more likely. I mean, almost any form of gun violence, um, especially as it relates to children, uh, you know, the numbers are totally disproportionate. When you compare us to any developed country, right, um, you know, kids in this country are dozens and dozens of times more likely to be killed by a bullet than they are uh, in any, really any other developed um, country. And, uh, you know, that that's that's just the difference. I mean, it is it is the difference here now. Um, gun well, why? What do you what do you think death. that what do you think that difference is based on? Why why do we have so many more? And it's ratios of like five to one and ten to one compared to other. Much countries. more than that. Dozens dozens to one uh, in this country. When you look at teenagers or, or children, I mean, gun violence is not the leading cause of death for children and teens in this country. That kills kills them more than literally anything else. And I mean, the reality is. There's only kind of two ways to look at this. Americans are either uniquely evil, and there's no evidence of that, because other forms of, of violence and crime in, in this country are comparable to those other countries. Uh, or, uh, or we have an issue uh, with guns and our ability to keep them from falling into the hands of the wrong people. You know, we have an excess, by some estimates, of more than 400 million guns in this country. And you know, that is the one commonality, right? In every shooting, it requires access uh, to a firearm. So, um, you know, uh, there's really, you know, no good faith argument to say that it's, that we can point to anything else to say um, that it's some other cause because every country has mental illness. And most school shooters, most mass shooters, they show no signs of debilitating men mental illness like, you know, schizophrenia or any kind of psychosis. Uh, so that is not the leading cause of, of gun violence. Okay. You say, and I think this is part of why your series has gotten so much attention, you say most of these school shootings are preventable. What's the yes. first priority for prevention? The, the number one most obvious thing that we can do as a country is for adult gun owners to simply lock up their guns. We know that if children did not have access to guns overnight, we would cut school shootings by more than half overnight if kids just didn't have access to firearms. So, you know, and that's a thing that, you know, in my book, uh, Children Under Fire, you know, I, I recommend some things that are meant to not alienate gun owners because gun owners have to be a part of the solution here. We're, we're not going to eradicate guns in this country. It's not realistic. It's, it's not not, that's never going to happen, right? We're not going to repeal the Second Amendment. Uh, but what gun owners can do is just simply secure their weapons. That would do nothing to deprive them from buying whatever guns they wanted to buy. It, would, it wouldn't, you know, deprive them in any way of their right to own a gun. But we know that children get access to guns every single day, and they fire them. And they shoot themselves, their cousins, their friends, their neighbors, their parents. Uh, happens every single day, and it's a hundred percent preventable. Okay, uh, John uh, Woodrow Cox, the author of *Children Under Fire: An American Crisis*.
and of a very important series in the Washington Post. Uh, we will be right back with uh, how do you keep those guns under lock and key or what can government do to encourage that? We will be right back. The Michael Medved Show. Not just presidential candidates, but them too. Are you feeling tired sometimes, older than you really are? Well, this is your immune system telling you your body has too much acid. Is your stomach upset? Acid indigestion? You can't eat the foods you like to eat, like meatballs, if you're um, Ron DeSantis with Trump's new nickname. Uh, Balance 7 can change all of that. By diluting the acid buildup in your body, when acid is no longer tying up your immune system, you'll feel much better. Your energy is going to be dramatically increased, and you can sleep better, too. I use this stuff, and it actually does work. Uh, this uh, usually happens, in fact, for most people in three days' time. Money-back guarantee. Give yourself the greatest gift of all. Uh, radiant and vigorous good health. You have nothing to lose but everything to gain, all natural ingredients. Please try Balance 7 and find out how beautifully your body can really feel. Uh, go to our website, michaelmedved.com, and click on the banner for Balance 7. Use the code MEDVED, and you get $15 off your order, free shipping, plus a free bottle of My Smooth Skin. What a deal. And a money-back guarantee, too. Just three one-ounce sips a day is all you need with Balance 7. Uh, speaking of uh, balance, the, uh, the one thing that with John Woodrow Cox, the author of Children Under Fire, he was emphasizing the importance of uh, locking up guns so they are out of... Uh, reach of of any kids, young people, anyone at all, as much as possible. And this is why it's so encouraging what's going on in Virginia. And uh, it 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 really is one of those remarkable things where there is a gun safety bill that is uh, going through the Virginia legislature. With the support of the NRA, National Rifle Association, and the support of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. This really is bringing America together. What does it do? It gives you a $300 tax credit if you get to yourself a, uh, an approved gun safe to uh, store your firearms. Now, you might say that... Uh, this is actually something where they're spending $5 million. That's what they estimate it's going to cost the first year for the state of Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia. Okay, and it's $5 million that is going to all benefit gun owners, but it's going to be benefiting that vast majority of gun owners who are good citizens, decent people, and uh, basically uh, are, are eager to do the right thing, which is to keep the firearms under lock and key. And uh, it's one of those things that it may not be a solution where it prevents every single gun death or every single school shooting or every single mass shooting. 
But if it makes a difference, if it cuts down the rate of death, if it cuts down the, the rate of exhaustion that we feel now, I mean, right now with this thing in Michigan, people look at it and say, oh, yeah, only three people died. There are five people in critical condition in the hospital. It, think, think about the people who were there and who were present. That is what the John Woodrow Cox material looks at. Um, in any event, uh, th this came in from Josh in Seattle. He says, regarding the Michigan State shooting, it's very disappointing to hear you make specious arguments like Norway has mass shootings, too. Other countries may have their share, their occasional tragedies, but no other nation sees anything like the daily toll of gun violence that the U.S. does, and you know that. America has a serious problem. The celebration of gun culture combined with paranoid fantasies of self-defense have led to a pathological society in which grandparents are killed in a dance hall and children are murdered while attending school. Regardless of your personal history or your political orientation, there is no good reason for assault weapons to be so easily accessible. None. Why do conservative commentators lack the courage to deliver such a simple and obvious truth? Until people like you with respected conservative platforms are willing to acknowledge what we can all see with our own eyes, nothing is going to change. Uh, look, I, do I disagree with anything that you're saying in there? Uh, the, the reason that I mentioned Norway is because I do think there is a universal expectation that changes in gun laws or even bans of assault weapons will have some significant change in the statistics. Uh, by the way, do I think that we should be very restrictive about the right to get assault weapons? I do. And uh, people want to ban certain kinds of magazines. One of the things that I've asked about, and I've talked about this on the air, is body armor. If you're not working in law enforcement or you're not working in the military or you're not working as a security guard or something with some good reason, why is, is body armor the kind of thing that we should be encouraging as a consumer product? I, uh, I, I think that, that part of what is problematic here and that you will sometimes hear me tilting against is that idea that it's uh, like conservatives speak about immigration. We have to stop uh, illegal immigration. I agree with that. I think there should be zero illegal immigration. Will that ever happen? Of course not. And it doesn't matter how big the wall is. Uh, the majority of illegal immigrants in this country right now are people who had visas originally and overstayed their welcome and never got or were able to get some kind of long-term residency or work permit. But in any event, the, the point about this is that there is a tremendous urge when you see something terrible like this situation in Michigan. And uh, there are all kinds of ways that you can explain it. I mean, one of the things it seems to me is that this is somebody who had, uh, who had actually been convicted of uh, gun violations before this Anthony McRae who shot the eight people in Michigan, the three of whom died. They have no idea why he did it or what his motivation was or whether there was anything racial or political or anything. We don't know yet, but we will find out. 
The one thing that we could do, it seems to me, is to make it much harder for people with criminal violations or any history of disturbed mental health to have access to firearms uh, of any kind. Um, the uh, uh, William in California uh, writes in on the email, uh, Michael, appreciate your anti-gun guest. I would say, since I am a law-abiding citizen, just leave me and other law-abiding citizens out of your lawmaking. Criminals do not obey the law. I will not obey laws that give criminals the edge. Guess that would make me a criminal. I'm, uh, I'm not sure that I follow the logic there, but it, it sounds... Uh, Socratic, maybe, though not quite Aristotelian. Illogical. Well, maybe there is that. And uh, speaking of illogical, one of the things that is illogical is the the uh, reaction to Nikki Haley's speech today and her announcement of candidacy generally. Uh, I, I This does deserve some conversation because I think she will be a serious contender for the presidency. It's especially true because today one of the people everyone expected was going to run again for president was uh, Ted Cruz. And Ted Cruz actually uh, has dropped out of the presidential race because he says he's going to be running for re-election as U.S. senator. Can you believe it? We're getting up to six years later after Ted Cruz beat, in a squeaker, beat uh, Beto O'Rourke. Remember that? That was one of the most expensive Senate races ever in American history. I think uh, Ted will be a heavy favorite, has a secure seat in Texas, and he's right to continue making his contributions to the conservative cause in the U.S. Senate, but not as a candidate for president. Uh, the, the reason I'm bearing up Ted Cruz is because he is one of those people who uh, – became so very negative to President Trump. I mean, some of the things he said about President Trump, that this was at a time when President Trump was saying that his father had helped to assassinate Kennedy. Do you remember that? Uh, has said it was fascinating because he had read it in the National Enquirer that Ted Cruz's father, who uh, was an evangelical pastor, that he had met with uh, uh, various thugs the day of Kennedy's assassination. Okay. Uh, Ted Cruz has been very hostile and very supportive of Donald Trump. Uh, Nikki Haley has been not supportive and, yes, supportive, but neither one as extreme. Uh, meanwhile, can Democrats solve their Kamala Harris problem? And if so, what do they do with this woman? Uh, that will be addressed by Charles Lipson coming up in this great...